Father, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. And Father, I pray today that you would open our eyes again and soften our hearts to take your word uh, personal. And Lord, that as we look at these seven verses, Lord, that you would show us um, a time in our life, a season in our life. And Father, sometimes when we are discouraged or encouraged or that we don't understand the injustice or we know that we're a part of the injustice, Father, open our eyes to that and soften our hearts that we might turn, turn, turn to you. And Lord, we know that all seasons have an end, and we know that all judgment will take place, that you will make all things right. So Lord, thank you for Ecclesiastes. Thank you for this text, Lord, that, that will um, provoke us to look inside, that'll provoke us to know you're sovereign, and provoke us to turn to you. And knowing that life under the sun is meaningless without you. And it is vanity without you. So I pray that we will end and our aim will be that you uh, bring meaning to our life. And I thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3. You got to love it. Open your Bibles to, uh, to that text again. And as you see uh, the text, as we read, you're going to see this, uh, this writer become real. This is our fourth message from the book of Ecclesiastes, and it speaks about realities of life under the sun, the good, the bad, the ugly, and definitely the real. <laughs> Koheleth is a name. That's who the, the writer's name is, Koheleth. It means preacher, kind of like that term, and or teacher. But what I love about this preacher is that he's brutally honest about life and how he sees it. And sometimes we hold back, and he does it. He doesn't shy away from the pessimistic reality about the things of God, the things of God that he allows. Or he doesn't shy away from his own personal frustrations. Because he sees a lot of injustice, and he's about to mention these in this seven verses. He sees the injustices of life under the sun, or man acting like beasts. We can all relate to that. We see the preacher being brutally honest and questioning these thought-provoking questions under the sun. The preacher mentions vanity. That's like a thesis for him. He mentions vanity 37 times. The word vanity is meaningless, without purpose, and he mentions the term life under the sun. That's 29 times throughout the book. Life under the sun is the key phrase that he says over and over, and it means life apart from God. Another phrase that he frequently says is, I said in my heart. He says, I said in my heart. This is a phrase that brings him to a conclusion. It's like I said in my heart after seeing this, and now he draws a conclusion. We will see this twice in my text. We've seen it in Pastor John's, and Pastor Anthony is this text, but you're going to see it twice in mine. Some of the harsh realities that we've already witnessed in the text 
uh, prior to this one and this one will be the harshness of life is a vapor. It's over like that. You think, man, I just got married. I want life to last forever. Reality is, it's a vapor. <laughs> life is full of sorrow. Life is full of despair. Life is full of injustice. Yes, life is a vapor. Sorrow is real. Despair is real. Injustice is real. And death is real. Ecclesiastes is a book that forces us to look on the inside about life and death. It's about time of eternity. It deals with the injustices and harshness of this life right now under the sun. That's why he says life without God. Two weeks ago, Pastor John spoke uh, on the reason uh, for the despairs in life. He did a good job packing that out. And the world seeks to be satisfied in so many things, even good things. Yet, without God, those good things will bring no satisfaction. Throughout the book, the preacher here in Ecclesiastes, in all his experiments, concludes life is vanity. That's his thesis. Life is vanity. As we look at this book as a whole, we see that the preacher's seeking for this satisfaction in wisdom, philosophy, pleasure, materialism, egotism, religion, wealth, and then he even sought it in morality. I'll be good enough. All to end these experiments with his thesis. All life is vanity. Life is vanity. Actually, I think this guy's onto something. Because we can all say life is vanity. I can agree with that statement somewhat. I'd say he's right. I think he's right about life is vanity and meaningless. Life is without purpose if you don't include God. So I think he was onto something when he said under the sun, not in the sun. At this point in the text, we're going to see four things in this experiment. We saw these. Wisdom does not satisfy. Saw that in chapter one. Pleasure does not satisfy. Chapter 2. Materialism work doesn't satisfy. Chapter 2 again. That means living for the now. And then we saw in this chapter, Pastor uh, Anthony and myself were talking about seasons and death. They are inevitable. That'll be chapter 3. So we find that the one source of meaning and joy in this life is God himself. That's not a surprise to us because we know that in the Bible. We continue to see the key major themes throughout this Ecclesiastes. Life is vanity, the tragedy and reality of the fallen and broken world that we live in. There's a season for everything. The reality of death, the importance to fear God. We'll notice that when we get to the very last chapter. That's his conclusion. Thank the Lord for that. Even in this twisted world, this broken and twisted world, the writer is not blind to God's beauty. Pastor Anthony unpacked that really good in chapter 3, verses 11 to 15. Before we begin our text today of verses 16 through 21, I want to look back to 1 through 15 when Pastor Anthony unpacked uh, the most well-known poem ever written. You just heard it. There's a reason for everything. And thank you, Dylan for singing it again. 
Because if you ever hear that song while you're driving, I pray that you remember this text. Turn, turn, turn. You know, that came from 1965. I was nine years old. <laughs> you're thinking, man, that's old. Was Abraham Lincoln alive? By the way, that's not in my text, and I know right now Carla is going nuts trying to translate that. <laughs> but I was nine years old. The song there, it's originated from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 back in the 50s. And then the birds, a group called the birds took it, and they brought it into a rock field. And guess what? It was relevant back then when Solomon wrote this or the preacher said this. It was relevant then, it was relevant in 1965, and it's relevant here in 2020 while we're sitting here in Mercy Hill Church. For everything, there's a reason and a time for every matter under the sun. You heard the song? There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up. And he goes on, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up. And you're thinking in yourself, yes, there is. There's people that are building and there's people that are tearing down. A time to mourn. That's why he said that. Because when it, you tear it down, you mourn. When you build up, you cheer and dance. There's a time for all these things. A time to keep silent. A time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. And he ends it with a time of war and a time of peace. I love how he ended it because the war is the battle right now here on earth. And the peace is what Jesus will bring for eternity. God makes sense of chaos. You have one of those families like I have, a baby of eight kids? God will make sense of chaos. You're thinking, thank God, because my family's in chaos. God can make sense of chaos. The preacher said there's a time for everything. Just believe it. And in everything, there's a season. Seasons have an end. And there's a reason. Pastor John made it real clear. God enables us to enjoy life. We can enjoy it right now, even in the heat of the battle. He made everything beautiful. We heard that in Pastor Anthony's sermon. God provokes us to worship him. It is provocative. He says, all of this stuff is so that you will be drawn to me. We're provoked to worship him. He put eternity into our hearts. You heard that in Pastor Anthony's sermon. So when we look back, all this is already said. Because you're about to hear seven verses that you might not get clear. <laughs> these, are tough, these, are, these are tough verses. There's a season for everything. Pastor John said there's a reason for despair. Anthony said there's a season for everything. And now the preacher, in my seven verses, is going to validate his conclusion. He's going to validate this, that life is vanity without God. So before we lay out an outline or an acrostic, which I don't have, because I'm making a narrative out of this, I'm making a story so we could look at it. Did that on purpose, because we're big at three points in a poem, and I love that. I'm the rebel. <laughs> so here we go. Before we lay out this outline or across these seven verses, I want to impact one thought at a time. Then we'll conclude at the end, okay? So one thought at a time. Got your Bibles open? Everybody ready? Seven verses. Seven verses. <clears throat> our aim is for God to show us in our hearts what the writers intended us to listen to and to hear. Look at verse 16. Moreover, <clears throat> I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So we see the word moreover. 
that just indicates that he's connecting uh, and continuing a thought of where Pastor Anthony left off, 1 through 15. So we have this connecting uh, theme that we have to uh, look at. Because, yeah, the thought is that everything, in everything, there is a reason and a season at a time. Then he says, under the sun, which we see again, that there's wickedness in places of justice and in places of righteousness. And this wickedness in places of justice and righteousness supports, again, it supports the preacher's thesis. Life is vanity under the sun. And when the preacher connects places of justice, and when he's mentioning places of justice, it would be right to think that he's talking about the courts of law. All of a sudden, we can all relate to that, courts of law. Not that we've all been to court, but maybe a lot of us have, but we see it on TV. They make TV series about it. We can all know it's talking about the court systems and people and civic authorities. He's seeing injustice. He's seeing wickedness in these places of justice. We could recall so many times and get blown away by watching TV and hearing injustice uh, on, on TV and seeing it, and people just get away with it. All of a sudden, it just started boiling up, and it's like, dude, O.J. Simpson is guilty, but he got away with it. That's not in there either, Carla. <laughs> we can recall those times. We see it's like, like women who's being abused by men and only to come to find out that the abuser got away with it. And women are being abused by men, but men being abused by women. And women abuse women and men abuse men. I don't want to leave anybody out. I'm not throwing animals in here, <laughs> but we're all guilty of abuse one to another. And it's obvious in our society that the poor are being abused by the wealthy because of greed. The poor and less privileged are being taken advantage of and abused by wealthy. In the areas of government, we see it all the time, guys. In the areas of our workplace, and worst case scenario, in the places of justice and places of righteousness, even in our families. Also, we see the injustice where the wealthy take advantage of these poor and they walk away not guilty, gloating and shouting in victory for a win. And we boil inside. So recently, and um, we see all too many times, ethnic groups, listen to this, ethnic groups abuse other ethnic groups. You're like, no way, yes way. Only to watch our court systems turn their back and nothing happens. We see people with different sexual orientations being abused. And they're shamed and they're beaten and killed. They're beaten down because people disagree with them. Whether it's right, wrong, or biblical, they still imply injustice on a lifestyle that they disagree with. It's just pure hateful. And that's why the writer can say, I see wickedness. Now it's getting personal, guys. He says, I see injustice in society. I see injustice in the justice system. But now he says, it's personal. Because now we look inward in our own lives, not just society in general, but the preacher provokes us to look inside. 
And we're forced to ask the hard questions. The hard questions to see if there's any injustice in our own lives. In areas where we've been given authority. Where you and me and all of us, somehow in your life, you have been given authority. You have authority over somebody. Whether it's a child, you have authority over somebody. Where we've been given power and control in areas that we're overseers. And unfortunately, we see wickedness and injustice in these areas every day of our life. We get frustrated just like the preacher did because we know it's not right. It's not right. We see it in our families, guys. It's getting personal. We see it in our families. We read about dads abusing their children, abusing their wives, even moms abusing their kids. And we just saw on the news them killing them. Domestic violence is common and it's a high crime that we overlook just to say it's happening. And it is happening to somebody somewhere else and then maybe to us. It's a reality. But we're forced to look inward. Deep inside, we know this text is relevant. Already we know in the places of justice, in the places of righteousness, there is wickedness. Thank you for reading that, Koheleth. <laughs> Not real little, uh, these guys, we see it all around us that children and wives are silently crying. They look happy, they put that fake smile on, but they're silently crying in pain and brokenness, only to see the leader of the home, whether it be man or woman, dad, mom, father, they ignore the cries. This is what happens in the family. I'll pick on men right now, but this could be anybody. They ignore the cries. And he marches on to achieve the goals in his life at the expense of his family. Sacrificing his family to gain recognition in society that he's somebody. Or to get ahead in life so he can say, I attained it. Or just to satisfy his sick, twisted, selfish desires. I'm going to sacrifice my family. Hmm. not realizing that this destruction of the family will one day come into judgment. No, nope. it might not be illegal, but it is immoral and unbiblical. Ignoring the cries of those in pain is the same as ignoring the cries in society in the courts of law. When we ignore those in our own household and we, we don't pay attention to that, it's the same thing of what happens in the courthouse in society. Not only the family where we see this injustice, but we see it in the church. It's getting really personal now. Pastors, brothers, deacons, Bible study leaders, just church member. We see this injustice in the churches. We see it in the places of worship, injustice and abuse in our churches, synagogues, temples, in every religion and denomination, we see this. Unfortunately, and fortunately, listen up, Unfortunately and fortunately, in the past 10 years or so, we've had priests and clergy that have been found out, called out for their wickedness and injustice to children and their congregation. All these injustices and wickedness, they make us sick, we know. Just like it did the preacher in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> the preacher said, in my heart. 
And what that means? I'm contemplating, getting ready to conclude a thought. He said, in my heart, he realizes God will judge the righteous and the wicked. There's a time for every matter, he says. It's coming. And every work. This is a comforting verse, actually. This is where the writer, Koheleth, the preacher, he brings some comfort to the experiences of injustice. As he sit back, as he sits back and he sees all the injustice, he's comforted by the, the thought and the knowledge that God will judge everything. And he mentioned the wickedness in the places of justice and righteousness. He, he alludes to the fact that God will take care of this. And he will. And he's right. God will take care of it. There's a time for everything, even judgment. And justice will come one day. The preacher was com comforted by this godly reality. The reality that God will judge wickedness. And the timing of God's judgment is in his hands. This is where it gets personal. I want judgment now. Take care of them now. You see people screaming and yelling in the courthouse, and they, they just lose it because they don't trust justice. But God's justice is right. In his timing, God's judgment is right. And because of this reality, we must remember that nobody on the planet will ever get away with evil. Matthew 10, 6, remember, we have the full gospel. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we look to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. No fear, or have no fear of them. Nothing is covered that will, be, will, that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Wow, that's a pretty serious text. I wish Koheleth knew that one. All darkness will be exposed and judged by the light. Also, in this reality, we have Romans 6.23, that death is the judgment of sin. For the wages of sin is what? Death. So there is a judgment. We should never forget that God is judging at all times. You ready for this? He's judging all the time. Why? Because he's in eternity. He's not limited by time. So God judges everything. At all times. It is a continuous process of judgment. And most of the time, we're not aware of it. We want to, that's why he says, judgment is mine. It's a continuous process. We're not aware of it, but it's there. God's judgment might seem unseen to us, but in reality, it's happening. Trust him. The preacher again says in verse 18, look at verse 18. In my heart, second time he says it, concerning the children of men, that God is testing them. Nobody likes tests, okay? <laughs> but God is testing us. Let's personalize it. God is testing them, testing them so that, here you go, circle those words, so that, this is the reason, so that they may, may see that they themselves are but beasts. God's testing us to show us that we're beasts. Well, that's kind of mean. Well, God always has the best reason, right? God has tested us so that we can see that we're only as beasts without him. The test is not for God. God knows. It's not like, 
I better test him to see what's really going on. God already knows. This test is for us. The writer is provoking us to see that we're like animals. And without God, there's always going to be injustice and wickedness. So here we're provoked. Again, it's like, you know you're going, we're like beasts. No, I'm not. So we're provoked to take this thought into insight. He's provoking us to do that. And without God, <laughs> we're always going to be unjust, and there's always going to be wickedness, even though it doesn't look like it is. The New Testament, there's a theme in the New Testament that alludes to the fact that this, ready for this? No one is righteous, <laughs> not one. All have sinned and fall short. There's no one good except God. This is the foundation we stand on. There's denominations and other religions that believe that mankind is inherently good. Like, oh, you're good. You can make it. You're good enough. And they're able to work and achieve their way to heaven. And you can achieve to be perfect and godly. <laughs> they believe that they can attain a righteousness that one day God's going to go, wow, you're really good. Come on. You're awesome. That's what God's going to say. But it's not going to happen. <laughs> Jesus reminds us in Matthew chapter 5. Here it goes. You remember this? Unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, we'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Oh, then I better work harder so I can be righteous. The only righteousness that will, that, that will be accepted by the Father to enter eternal, the eternal kingdom is through Jesus. Is that a shock? You can only attain the righteousness if we have Jesus. He imputed this righteousness for us so we can have eternal life. Look at John chapter 4, 14, verse 6. <laughs> Jesus said it plain. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, not even you. He made it clear. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that God the Father made Jesus, wow, the Father made the Son, who knew no sin, perfect, to be sin, wicked, on our behalf. Wow. That's pretty big doctrine right there, guys. God the Father made Jesus to become sin on our behalf so that, circle there, here's your reason, here's your conclusion, so that we might become righteous, the righteousness of God in him. There you go. Unless you have the righteousness that, succeed, that exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter in. How do I get it? Through Jesus, right here. I want to make that clear because that's the gospel, guys. Without Jesus, we will never have righteousness. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You will never have it without Jesus taking our place. Wow. Pretty heavy, huh? I call that the substitutionary atonement. Jesus substituted himself for us so that we did not have to bear the burden and weight of God's wrath, which we couldn't. We didn't have to pay for our own sin because we couldn't to, to be with him. 
but we can receive his righteousness imputed to us that by grace we can have eternal life with him. Also, we see in verse 18 in Ecclesiastes 3 that we see that God is testing us. He tested us the first time, and now he sees he tests us so that, circle it again, so that we may see that we are but beasts, showing us the reality of who we truly are. <laughs> this is humbling. My wife has called me a beast before. <laughs> so I relate to this. Carla, add that. <laughs> So here we are, and the writer's saying, you are but beast. Why? <laughs> why did you say that? And I know why. Because of scripture and context, biblical context. And this is to humble us. God wants to humble us and go, you're nothing. Where's the place that you can build for me? What can you do for me? We have to say nothing so we can have him. Because you can't. Why humility? Why do you have to humble me? This stinks, man. Why humility? Why does God want us to be humble? Look at James chapter 4. I'm about to answer it because I have the full gospel. I have the full text, the full scripture. Hey, James chapter 4. Look at what he says. God resists the proud. <laughs> There's the first reason. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Wow. I could stop right there, but I'm going to read the rest. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, another word to circle. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. Flee from him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And he ends it. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will give you righteousness. He will make it possible for eternal life. This is a part of the ultimate plan of God. You were kicked out of the garden, and he had a plan to get you back. This is a part of the, the ultimate plan of God, a plan to reconcile us to him, to reconcile a sinful, wicked, unrighteous man to a holy, sinless, righteous God. There's his plan, imputed righteousness, making us righteous and giving us his son to take our place. This is why we're to be humble. God allows injustices so that we can see that we are but beast without him. And it, this, you ready for this? I love the provocative language. And this will provoke us to loving him. Knowing who we really are, getting real with yourself will provoke us to be like him and to be with him. Jesus can identify with this, guys. This is not foreign to Jesus, what we're going through. Jesus can identify with the injustice of life. And he too, like Koheleth, is looking back and seeing injustice in places of, of, of righteousness and places of justice. He sees the wickedness right there. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus foretells of his suffering, his injustice, his death, his burial, and the resurrection. He says this to his disciples. Jesus told him, I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be delivered in the hands of the men, and they're going to beat me and mock me and flog me. They're going to crucify me, and they're going to kill me. And he's going to raise on the third day. But on that first occasion, when he first said it to the disciples, big Peter, 
Peter goes, I'm not going to let that. The apostle Peter said, Lord, far be it from you. This will never happen. (laughs) Jesus should have said, oh, thank you, Peter, for standing up for me. But he didn't. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. This injustice has a reason. This injustice has a season. You heard that in the first two messages. This injustice has an end. It will be judged. He said, get thee behind me, uh, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, and you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Wow, that's a real deal right there. This is where a good biblical worldview comes in handy. So if you don't have a good biblical worldview of what's going on through the lenses of the gospel, through the lenses of of the Bible, it's hard to understand. So this is where a good biblical view comes in handy. Knowing that God is sovereign, he's in control, and has a plan and a purpose for every matter under the sun and for every work that man does under the sun, there's a plan and a purpose. Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, we know that for We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose. His plan even includes the injustices and the sufferings that we all go through. Just like his son went through. God has a purpose. Jesus suffered injustices that God used for our good and his glory. In Jesus... If Jesus did not suffer these injustices and die, we would not know anything about eternal life. But Jesus did come to earth as a man. (laughs) Jesus suffered these injustices to give for our good and for the glory of God. Look at verses 19, guys. 19 through 21. Here's another thought we're unpacking. Three verses will unpack the one thought. And probably many more thoughts, but I'm limited in my thought process. So I pulled out one. (laughs) The preacher unpacks another thought. The writer, he compares us to animals. He says that whatever happens to the animals is going to happen to us. (laughs) You see a dead dog on the side of the road, you're going, no way. Is that going to happen to me? As one dies, so the other dies, it says, verses 19 through 21. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. He says that they are all going to one place, and they all, um, they all came from the dust, and to the dust they're going to return. Then the preacher asks a very important question. You ready for this, guys? Look at this. Look at verse 21. Who knows? I know. <laughs> I know because I have the Old Testament and the New Testament. I know. You should know. We all should know. Who knows? Who knows whether the spirit of man goes up and the spirit of the beast goes down to the ground? After reading chapter 3 and these three verses, I can see why the book of Ecclesiastes was almost kicked out of the canon. I'm not kidding you. This book almost didn't make the canon. It almost didn't make the Bible. I can't imagine having any doubt that there's a difference between a beast and a man if you knew Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
Because it says in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created animals, each according to its kind. Each according to their kind. And he created man in the image of God. Wow. Is there a difference? Big time. There's a big difference. Nevertheless, the writer continues his thought in pessimism and all. The writer is skeptical and pessimistic about mankind. But thanks to God in the year 2020, right now, today, at Mercy Hill, we have the full gospel and the full good news of God's plan of redemption and salvation. God's word doesn't leave us hanging, ever. You say, well, there's a lot of unanswered questions. That's because if we had them, it might mess us up. God doesn't leave us hanging. We have the prophets and the apostles and the writings. We have all this put together. It's been manifested through the appearance of Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life to immortality and to light through the gospel. Yeah, we don't have to doubt. We don't have to. We can be assured of our eternity because of Jesus. We have all these writings of the prophets. Apostle Paul quoted Hosea, and he says, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? It's not there. The Apostle Paul knew that. Death can be a scary topic. I don't like talking about it. I remember losing my mom and my dad. But it's a scary topic. But it shouldn't be for believers. Death should not be. Because we can be comforted by God's word. In Philippians 2, 21, it says, for to, to me, Paul says this, ready for this? To me, Paul says, life, in, life to live is Christ, and to die is better. Death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? It's not there. He says, because when I die, I gain. How can we gain in this death? Are we going to be like the animals? All have the same breath. All came from the dust. All's going back to the dust. Who knows if we're going up? Who knows if we're going down? Believers, for us believers, death is actually, ready for this? A type of graduation. <laughs> we're graduating. Where we live in this sin, cursed, twisted, existed, injustice world, and we know that we're going to enter the glorious, eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know. Who knows? I know. I have no fear of death. I have no doubt of eternity because of Jesus. And now the last verse. You guys are going, got there. When the last verse, verse 22, look at it. The preacher asked the ultimate question. Well, like, who knows whether you go up or down? But now he gets really personal. He's sinking it in. And he says this. The preacher asked the ultimate question, the question that all mankind needs to ask. You ready to ask this question in your own heart? The question that holds eternity, the question that fills that dark hole that's in our hearts, the question that fills the vacuum that we're trying to fill all the time in our soul, that provocative question that begs for an answer. What's the question, Med? The preacher asked, chapter 3, verse 22, circle it. Who, who can bring him to see what will be after him? Who? I know. I know who. 
You know who. You know who. (laughs) The writer's saying, who can open the eyes of the things of God? Who can open my eyes to see the inadequacies in my own personal life? And who can open my eyes to see the separation that I truly have with God? Who can open my eyes to see the salvation of the Lord? Who? Well, if you ask the blind beggar, Named Bartimaeus in chapter in Mark chapter 10. You know what Bartimaeus would say? It was Jesus. Like being in VBS. I always tell my grandkids, I'm adding this, Carla. I always say in VBS, hey, when they ask a question, just say Jesus. 90% of the time you're gonna get the cookie. <laughs> Who? It was Jesus, the son of David, he said. Bartimaeus said it was Jesus that gave me the sight. I can see clearly now because of Jesus, my Savior. He saved me. John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment. Here's that word we're looking for because, man, we're really ticked off with this injustice. For judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see. Bartimaeus, med that those who can't see may see, and those who see may become blind. You think you have it without God under the sun? You don't have it without Jesus. You don't. It's a warning. So when the writer asks who, who can bring him to see what will be after, who can say with confidence, Jesus, like Bartimaeus, Christ alone, Grace alone, by faith in him alone. The writer of Acts says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men under the earth, above the earth, and in the earth, by which man must be saved, Jesus alone. I'm going to conclude with this. And wow, what a conclusion. There's many precious jewels in these seven verses. I picked a few. And I guarantee you, Pastor John or Pastor Anthony or Pastor Ricky preached this, they would have other jewels that would be laying out for you to admire in these seven texts. But I can tell you that these jewels, these seven, we can see what the writer's trying to say. We can see what the writer's trying to show us. The preacher says injustice is real. It's for real. It's happening. Injustice is temporary. God will judge it. And it is hurtful and painful. We must endure like Jesus did. We can enjoy life in spite of these injustices because of Jesus. We're not going to let injustice and go around with the banners. I'm going to banner this to death. Why don't you banner Jesus, the banner of love? We can enjoy life in spite of the injustice. And there's hope. In this injustice, if you're sitting here being beaten down by injustice, you're going, I want justice now. There's hope. Injustice is powerless, guys. Injustice is powerless in light of the gospel. Injustice is overcome by the hope that we have in Christ and the work that he accomplished on the cross. That's a biblical perspective. One major comforting thought for those being afflicted in this injustice, is that God will judge. One day, he will make it right. 
We learned that without God, there's no difference between man and animal. We came from the dust, we turned to the dust. Yeah. But if our righteousness does not exceed the, 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 those of the religious, we're not going to enter the kingdom. So we seek him. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says it with this. Without God, we're all dead, guys. We walk following. That's, uh, uh, by the way, that is uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. We all walk in wickedness. We're all controlled by the world and the prince of the air, by our own personal desires under the sun. And without God, we're living on our own selfish passions and carrying out the desires of our body and our mind like the rest of mankind. That's what it says. But God. Ephesians 2 verse 4 actually is my favorite verse on the planet. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, he's adopted us as children and made us his own. And he's given us life, eternal life. So unlike animals, they're not, they don't have the spiritual life with God like we do. Because we can be together with Christ. 